0: The structure of Matthew chapter 7 can be hard to discern. Verses 1 through 6 seem to go best with verses 12 through 14, while everything in between 7 through 11 seems to fit perfectly with the end of chapter 6. As much sense as that makes, at least to me, we have the text ordered as it is before us. Chapter 7 opens with one of the more well-known teachings of Jesus. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. The word hypocrite is found 17 times in the New Testament, and every time... It comes from Jesus. Condemning other people while following a lower standard yourself is one of Jesus' biggest beefs. To see the tiniest flaw with your brother, all the while ignoring the glaring issues in your own life, is dangerous. By condemning others for not following the standard of teaching, you agree that those who fall short of it deserve judgment. But when we fall short, we make our own exceptions, trusting in God's grace for ourselves, but withholding it from others. At this point in the sermon, it might be easy to judge others after we've learned of the higher ways of life. But following this judgmental attitude is going to wreak havoc on the kingdom. It will kill evangelism as we see the lost as dirty sinners instead of souls to be saved, forgetting that we were lost with them at one point. It kills the church community as we harshly condemn the mistakes of others while ignoring our own. Judgments are easy to hand out but hard to accept. It hurts to see and admit the ugly things in our lives, but we're not going to be able to help anybody until we first examined our own lives. We won't be able to see clearly how to help others, and nobody wants help from a hypocrite. We should also be aware of taking this teaching too far. Jesus says do not judge, so plenty will take any criticism, no matter how well-meaning it is, as sinful judgment. But Jesus is not saying that you can never call out your brother for sinful behavior. He's saying that we need to be aware of our own major failings before critiquing their minor ones. Moving on, Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 has plenty of people scratching their heads. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Various interpretations abound, but we're only going to focus on one that I think fits best. The Jewish audience would have immediately equated pigs and dogs to the unclean Gentiles that surrounded and invaded Israel. Jesus himself calls a Gentile woman a dog in Matthew fifteen twenty six through twenty seven. The pearl, that which is holy, is also used in describing the kingdom of God in Matthew thirteen, forty five and forty six. What we have here then is another command that we see throughout Scripture. Don't go preaching to the Gentiles until Jesus has first finished his work in Jerusalem. In John twelve, twenty through twenty three, we read of some Greeks who have come to see Jesus and his immediate response is that it must be time for his crucifixion. Gentiles seeking after him seems to have been a sign that his work among the Jews was coming to an end. In Acts chapter 1:8, Jesus tells the apostles that they're going to be his witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the whole world. Paul himself followed this pattern. Whenever he visited a new city, he began his missionary work in the synagogue, only moving to the Gentiles after having spent some time with them or being rejected. As we consider how to apply this text to ourselves, maybe we should consider who we are best equipped to evangelize. Instead of fawning over foreign missions, maybe we're best suited to teach those who we're closest to. Instead of trying to reach the unreachable, we can focus on those who are nearest to us, before moving on to other prospects. Verses 7-11 through are a guide to us for prayer. You might have heard that these verses insist on a persistent petitioning of God, asking and asking and asking again for what you want from Him. And this can create a pretty negative picture of God if we're not careful. Based on this, some people can perceive God as alien, high and far above us. And we poor mortals need to do all that we can just to be noticed by him. So don't just pray once, pray again and again and again, in the hope that one day this transcendent God will notice you. Well, the constant repetition isn't the hopeless repetition of one begging to deaf ears, it's the constant repetition of the excited child, My daughter doesn't ask to play with me. She asks, can I play, please, 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 please? It's repetition inspired by joy, by an eagerness to be blessed by the one who can bless in such incredible ways. Jesus teaches that we in our sinful ways have an easy time giving our children what they ask for. They don't ask for bread and then get a rock in return. So if we ask our good God for anything, how much better will his gift be for us? From here, we find what's commonly called the golden rule, a fitting conclusion for many of the teachings that we've read. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is a great command because it inspires love. It eradicates hypocrisy and creates a community. We're taught to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And we should add to that, what would I want people to say or do with me if I were in this person's place? Jesus wraps up the entire sermon with a series of warnings. Jesus is not just offering us good advice. He's offering us the proper path that leads to God. It's not something that we can take or leave. It's something that's going to affect our ultimate destiny. The path that Jesus lays before us is difficult. Difficult to find and difficult to walk. We could find the broad path of ease and choose to reject Jesus. But such a path leads to destruction as proverbs 14:12 states there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death and so jesus warns us of the many competing paths and how they draw us in there are many false teachers who look like cute cuddly sheep but they're only wolves come in to steal us we need to be careful in examining not just the teaching but the lives of those who teach us a tree is known by its fruit not by how pretty it looks and this leads what to me is the scariest passage in the bible Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three, Jesus says, "Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven." On that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name?" And then I will declare to them, "I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." There are going to be those who will claim to have worshipped Jesus done works in his name, and still be cast out. We have to work diligently to find out the deceptions being presented to us. We can't rest easy saying that our good intentions are enough, or that we're immune from judgment because it's somebody else's fault that we're being led astray. You have a personal responsibility to follow the path of Jesus, not what someone told you about Jesus. If you're listening to this podcast, and you haven't even bothered reading the text and studying it for yourself, stop. Don't look for a relationship with Jesus through this. Find it and treasure it yourself from the word of God directly. The last point Jesus makes is that our foundations need to be built on Jesus, not anybody else, even a teacher who proclaims Jesus. Only after building well on him will you be able to withstand the storm.